Uh, good morning. I'm Ryan Donovan. I'm our student director. Uh, pray for us when, I, when, when David said we're taking 85. That's right. When David said we're taking 85 high schoolers to camp, um, pray for us. A- 18 hours. 18 hours on a charter bus each way. It's a long time on a bus. Lots of movies. Bring your DVDs, guys. Uh, pray for us. We leave a week from Sunday. I'm also on our production team. Um, our, can we give it up for our production people? They, they quietly sit in the dark and make sure that I can be seen and heard and that you guys can hear Kevin and everybody else on stage. Uh, I don't speak that often, uh, but when I do, it is an incredibly humbling experience. Uh, I, I see so many of you guys out there, and you've been doing this way longer than I have. And in my mind, I often view myself as just some 32-year-old kid. And I don't know why I'm here. I never wanted to particularly work for a church or get up on stage and, and preach you know, things to a group of people. Uh, but I believe that God has led me here. Um, I'm here right now. And I believe that I have this really important piece of truth that I want to share today. And that if we can all just kind of go to a place for a minute of you know, maybe there's something I can learn. Maybe there's something that this young kid can share with me that can help me, that can change my life, that can help point me in the right direction. I think God wants to do something really cool in all of our lives this morning. And we are starting a new series called Summer Stories. And stories are amazing because I could sit up here and just give you a bunch of scripture and give you a bunch of information that uh, if, you, you know, if you know how to Google anything at all, you could just read online. But when we put that information into stories to illustrate points, it comes to life. Stories is what makes things relatable, and that's what this series is about. Some of our favorite stories about this guy, Jesus, that bring who he is as a person to life, and that can help bring our faith to life. And so I want to tell you about my summers growing up. In high school and all through college, I worked at a local pool. And in the summers, they would open this awesome outdoor pool, and in the winters, they had this really, really sweet indoor rec center. Um, And I won't say what pool it was, but it was in Westerville. And they had these slides, they had two slides with tubes and the lazy river and all these fountains and a zero entry for all the little kiddos and this big lap pool with diving boards. I mean, this place is massive. And I started working there when I was in high school and it was, no joke, like I legitimately feel bad for you if you've never been a lifeguard. I got paid every summer to sit outside in the sun and put on, I mean, not suntan lotion, I mean oil. I was trying to get as tan as I could, and I'm gonna regret, I already regret that, you know. The negative effects of sun damage are irreversible, and should all wear sunscreen every day, especially our high schoolers in Florida. I'm not trying to have anybody get burnt the first day and blame me, because I didn't tell you to wear sunscreen. Wear sunscreen every day. But I worked at this pool, and I loved it. I loved the people I worked with. I loved my managers. I loved what I got to do. I would teach swim lessons. I started learning about the pool. Started learning about the filtration. I would help take care of the pools and do the tests and stuff and and be involved in all different areas. And then eventually, a position opened up. And in the pool world, this is like a coveted position. And one summer, they were gonna hire a new pool manager. And this, I mean, this is like it, you guys. $2 an hour raise, tell all the other lifeguards what to do and where to go, and you get the keys to the pool. And somehow, they decided 
that I would be a good pool manager. And they gave me the keys to the pool. And they trusted me. And they said, Ryan, we believe in you. And so I was a pool manager. And I think I was a really good pool manager. People liked me, you know. I did a good job. I showed up on time every day, mainly. I had a really good attitude most of the time. You know, I was 19. What do you expect? But one summer, the summer after I became pool manager, I was hanging out with some friends. And it was like midnight, 1 o'clock. And we're like, what should we do? You know, it's like that, that you know, because when you're in that age, you're asking the question, you know, what you should do at midnight. And I'm like, what should, what, what should we do? There were a whole, there's like seven or eight of us hanging out. And I was like, you guys, I got it. I have an idea. We should go swimming. And they're like, what? Where are we going to go? Ryan, it's midnight. Where are we going to go swimming? And I was like, I got the keys to the pool. And it was a little cold that night. And so I didn't want to be uncomfortable if we were going to go swimming. So we went to the indoor pool. So at 1 o'clock in the morning, seven of us park in the back of this building. We all jump out. We go in the back door. I go into the, 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 the pump room, and I start flipping breakers everywhere. The, the slide, the lazy river, the fountains. I turn on all the lights. I light that place up, and for hours we swim. I mean, it was fun. I saved the night. We would have just, it would have just been like any other night, but not that night. We got to go swimming. And we finish, and I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't be there, right? Like, I'm going to, you know, if I had to go out at a branch, you know, take it, you know, go out on a branch at the time, I would probably say that was not the best decision. And so I, I lock up and turn off all the lights so maybe nobody would know I was there. And I go to work the next morning. My manager calls me into the office, which isn't uncommon, you know, because I'm a manager. You know, I'm privileged. I go in the manager's office. And I walk in, and her managers are there. That's a little weird. And then there's this guy wearing a suit and a tie that's there. And that's really weird for an outdoor pool. And they sit me down and they're like, Ryan, somebody told us that somebody who looks a lot like you was swimming at the indoor pool last night. And I took a deep breath and I thought to myself, I wonder how many people look like me that have keys to the pool. And I said, oh, it was me, I'm sorry. Slap me on the wrist, bad manager move. And they said, Ryan, we have to fire you now. And that was the end of my lifeguarding career in Westerville. And it was a sad day. I was like, just to like, it, it's really revealing about my thought process. I was shocked. I was like, what? You don't trust me anymore? Just some friends, some kind of safety violation. And the whole point of this story, what I want to get into today is that at some point in time, that group of people, they sat around the decision makers and they said, Ryan, we are putting our faith in you. We trust you. In good faith, we're giving you the keys to this building. They made a bad decision, but it was the decision they made. We're putting our faith in you. We're confident that you have the ability to be the type of manager that we think you can be. Faith is this kind of this churchy word that we use in church a lot sometimes, but faith is this idea that is going on all around us. And we're constantly evaluating the people around us to decide if they're the type of people we can put faith in. And faith is nothing more than trust or confidence. It's just the amount of trust you have in somebody. Ryan, we trust you to be a pool manager. We trust you to have these keys and to have this responsibility. We're confident in your decision. Now, I don't think that any of them would have said, we are 100% confident that Ryan is going to be everything. I think they'd probably give me a 95%. And, and faith isn't always this, you know, black or white thing. It's kind of this sliding scale. They were confident enough to give me that position. 
And the thing about faith and trust and the thing about trusting the people around us and putting our faith in them is that nobody, there's no one, no one in any of your lives, I know this, that you put your faith in all the time in every situation. There's no one in your life that you trust all the time in every situation. My wife and I got married three years ago, almost, and um, I know exactly when we got married. Um, We got married almost three years ago, and for the past almost three years, we've been on this journey of understanding where we can and can't put our faith in each other. And it's not a bad thing. It's normal, right? When we first got married, I like, you know, I've always kind of been handy. I like to build things and fix things. Even if I don't really know what I'm doing, I'm like, I can watch some YouTube videos and figure that out. And generally, I figure it out. And that freaked her out. And so the first time I was like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. She was like, can you, can you really do that? Are you, are you sure we shouldn't pay somebody to do that? And I'm like, we are not paying somebody to do that. And I did it, and she was like, wow. And so it's like, in, in the midst of our relationship, it's gone from not very much faith to now I'm like, hey, well, I think I can do that. And she's like, she, <laughs> she's still sometimes like, are you sure? But she, you know, she, she's got more faith than she did. That It's kind of slid down that scale. And sometimes it gets me in trouble because she's like, hey, let's, uh, let's just like, do this renovation and knock this wall out and then paint it and then build this statue. You can do that, right? I'm like, I'm not building a statue. We don't need any statues in our home. But that doesn't mean she trusts me in every area. If you asked my wife how much faith she would put in me to make sure that this shirt and these pants and socks and underwear make it into the hamper at the end of the day, She would say she doesn't have very much faith in me as a result of what she's observed over the last three years. And look, I want to, I want to get them in the hamper. And we had an arrangement before we got married that I would fix things and build things and she would do laundry because I hate it. But I want to get them in the hamper. And, but it's like all the way on the other side of the room and it's so small. And there's not one in the bathroom and there's not one on my side of the bed. And sometimes I'm going to re-wear those clothes But the point is, she has faith in me in one situation, but not a lot of faith in me in another situation. I'm not faithful in every situation all the time. Kaylee Whipple, who I work with, and she works with our students, and she's our children's director, and I love Kaylee, and I've spent seven years working with Kaylee. Seven years ago, we started leading a small group together at Boom. And Kaylee is so many things that I'm not. She's organized, she's structured, she's just administrative, But one thing I've learned I can't trust Kaylee in is her evaluation of time. Kaylee, Kaylee would be like, all right, guys, you know, we'll be at the office, and the office is in New Albany. Kaylee would be like, all right, guys, I got to run, I got to run to Easton. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm like, Kaylee, it takes 15 minutes to get to Easton. 12 if you drive, you know, a little over the speed limit. She's like, fine, 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 fine. I'll be back in 20 minutes. And it's just like, we, we know that when Kaylee says how long something is going to take, you know, you can't really put a lot of confidence in that. But that doesn't mean I don't totally trust Kaylee. We do this all the time with everybody around us. It's always this sliding scale. It's not usually we totally trust you or I totally don't trust you. And maybe I trust you in some circumstances, in some situation, but not in every circumstance, in every situation. And so I want to transition this to talk about our faith today because we're in church 
And no surprise, you know, I hope everybody saw this going here, but I want to ask the question, how much faith do you have in God? How much faith do you put in God and what he's capable of? How much confidence do you have in him? And this is going to be a little different depending, at, depending on where you're at in your journey. And if you're a Christian, then I can make some assumptions, as long as we define what it means to be a Christian the same that you believe Jesus is God, that you believe he came to earth, that he lived this perfect life, and that he loved us, and that he undeservingly died on a cross. And because of that, we have the gift of this renewed relationship with God. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and now we get to have this relationship with God for the rest of our lives that nobody can take away, that we can't lose, that's promised to us, and one day we get to spend forever, eternity, with God the way things were designed to be. And so if you're a Christian, you have this kind of like, yes, I have faith. And it's, it's kind of this blanket faith. And if you're a non-Christian, you might be here and you're like, I don't really know what I believe. I'm not sure if I have any faith in God. And you're just trying to figure it out, and that's great. I'm glad you're here, and I think, you, I think there's a really um, amazing principle that you can take away from today. And you're welcome to be here and have all the doubts and concerns that you want and move through this faith journey at your own pace, and you're obviously here looking for something, and you're welcome here, and you don't have to be somebody you're not. But how much faith do we put in God? Like I said, if you have that, that kind of umbrella faith, you believe at a fundamental level of who Jesus is and what he did for us, but do you believe that God is fully capable all the time? In every situation, do you have full confidence in who God is and what his abilities and capabilities are. And just like we struggle, and it's nearly impossible to have full confidence in anyone in our life all of the time in every circumstance, I don't think that we have the ability as Christians and followers of God to have full confidence in God in every situation and all of the time. Who, who, who are my Euchre players out there? I got some Euchre fans. Okay, Euchre is like the best game in the world for the first eight minutes, and then it just feels like it takes forever. But I love Euchre, and I have a Euchre analogy. And God is your partner, right? Everybody can understand playing guards, and God is your partner. And you get dealt this hand, and this is the best hand in Euchre, okay? You don't even need a partner. You got, you got this on your own. It's a lay-down loner. And when you get this kind of hand in life, it's like, yeah, God is good all the time. And when your finances are good and your family's good and your job's good and your friendships are good, it's like, yeah, God is awesome. I have faith in him. He, I am confident that he loves me and that he's taking care of me. But then you get a hand like this, and this is, we're not playing poker, this is the worst hand in euchre. And when you get that kind of hand in life, we start to like, okay, God, and now this thing is out of our control. And now all of a sudden we're depending on God in a way that we didn't have to depend on him before when we had all those great things going on. And we start to like waver. We start to question, oh God, are you sure you've got this? Doesn't look like you're giving me much to work with here. Are you sure this is gonna turn out okay? And, and you get that one hand and it's like, okay, let's push through this. And you get another hand and then another hand and the cards, all this, and it can feel like all the cards of your life. It's like, God, what's going on? And we start to lose that level of confidence that we had before. 
There's a verse in Matthew, it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is Jesus talking to his followers, talking to his disciples. This is Jesus talking to us if you put your faith in him. And he's saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Chase after me. Seek me, and I'm gonna take care of you. And yet, how many of us go through our life and we we experience fear? You have these things that keep you up at night. You have these things that you worry about. You have these things that freak you out. Or these worries that you just can't overcome. Or this hopelessness or anxiousness, or this worthlessness, or purposelessness. God says, listen, anybody ever felt like you're not valuable? Ever feel like you're not good enough? Feel like you don't matter? Feel worthless? Or maybe you feel like your value is dependent on your performance, and that what makes you valuable is your perfect family, or this great job title you have, or how big your house is, or where you go to school. And we, we find our value based on all these things, or your value is based on the way you look and what a number on a scale is, or the way people talk about you. But Jesus says, you're so valuable, I'm gonna die for you. None of those things make you valuable. You're valuable because I say you're valuable, but yet we think we're valuable because of all these other things or we think we're worthless, or we don't feel like we have purpose in life, like we're just floating through life. You know how many times I've, I've questioned, like, what am I here for? Do I have anything to add? Do I have anything to offer the world, my family, my church, my dog? She just likes me because I feed her and play with her a lot. But it, it says in Scripture, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you a purpose. God says, I have these amazing plans for you, but yet we feel like we have no purpose in life. These are indicators. These are results of moments in our life where we don't trust God. These are indicators of our lack of faith. And it's really hard in a life full of brokenness to see and believe that God is different. We can't have confidence, full confidence, full faith in anything around us, and yet, we feel like we're supposed to have this full confidence in who God is. I recently, recently had friend, uh, coffee with a friend from church, and we're, we're building this friendship and getting to know each other. And he told me, he's like, Ryan, he's like, I gotta, I gotta like talk to you about this thing. And I'm like, what's up, man? And I could tell, like, I could tell it was weighing heavy on him. I could tell it bothered him. And he's like, I'm really struggling with my faith. And he went on to tell me about how he's grown up in church, he's grown up as a Christian. He knows that there's something here. He's got this faith, but yet he has all these questions, all these concerns, and all these things that he doesn't understand. And I was like, do you feel guilty about that? He's like, you know what I do? I feel really guilty about it. And in church world, it can so often feel like there's no room in our faith for gray. That it's, that it's supposed to be this light switch. Either you have full faith, 
full confidence, full trust in God, or you have none. Either you're a good believer and a good Christian, or you're not, because you struggle, because you don't always trust God in every situation, because you're not always sure he's gonna provide for you, because you don't always feel valuable. And it can feel like, man, they, it seems like everybody else has figured this out, but I'm over here with all these questions and doubts. And the church does a bad job of creating a safe place in the middle. And what if there is a safe place in the middle? What if there is this place, and God makes room for this place in our faith where we believe, but yet we don't believe? Where we have a part of us that has this faith in who God is, that he saves us and loves us and died for us, and yet we struggle to believe in this other area? And what if we don't have to be ashamed about that? What if God isn't angry about it? What if it doesn't make us a bad Christian? And this, I want to share a story, my favorite story about Jesus that illustrates this point and talks about this dichotomy, this, this struggle and contrast between having faith and having doubt, between believing and not believing. And Jesus actually does something really cool in the midst of this man's struggle. And so we're going to start in the book of Mark. And Mark is, um, he was a disciple of Jesus. He followed Jesus around. He got to see lots of amazing things. And the book of Mark is filled with Jesus going around and doing these these miracles. You know, he finds a blind man and, and he helps him see for the first time in his life. Some guy who was crippled, who's been crippled his whole life, and, and he walks out after having an encounter with Jesus, changing people, radically changing people's lives, traveling from village to village. And when he would do that, I mean, you can only imagine people start talking. And so everywhere Jesus went, he created this buzz, this excitement. And people would go to him with their problems, and, and he, would, he would do miracles. And they would listen to him preach about who God is and what this life is about, and it was different than anything they'd ever heard. Totally different. And in this part of Mark in chapter 9, that's what's going on. Jesus has created this commotion. And Jesus took three of his disciples and went up on this mountain. And, and they had this crazy transfiguration thing. You read about it in the beginning of Mark 9. And, and then he, he leaves his other disciples down at the base of the mountain, the other nine. And as they're coming down the mountain, he sees this commotion. And he sees that his disciples are in this argument or this dispute with the other religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees. And this is where we pick up. Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. A little weird, stick with me. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Here we have a father with a sick son. Sounds a lot like epilepsy. He, he's, he thinks it's an evil spirit. doesn't matter. He's got a son with a problem. And somehow he heard about this Jesus guy and heard about the fact that he was doing these amazing things. He, he caught wind of this buzz. And so he set out to see if Jesus could help him. And he got to where the disciples were and Jesus wasn't there. And who's the next best person to help you if it's not Jesus? Clearly the followers of Jesus. And so he takes him to the, his son to the disciples and asks the disciples to help, but they can't. They can't help him. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often, thrown, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. I love this. This is where the story gets really cool. But if you can do anything, 
If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. This father doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that he's the savior of the world. He doesn't know that he's going to go and die on a cross for his sins. He doesn't understand that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. But he's heard these stories about him, helping people, doing miracles. And if you can, represents this father's understanding of who Jesus is or lack of understanding. What he's really saying, he's saying, Jesus, if you have the ability to help, if you have the power to help, if you are stronger and bigger than this problem that I've experienced my whole life that nobody else has been able to help us with, not even your disciples, if you're bigger than that, would you help us, please? He's questioning Jesus's ability. And of course he is, right? We all would. This man's son has this problem. I can only imagine how many other people he's went to to help him. How many other people he's put his trust and faith and confidence in that didn't have the ability to help him, that were unable to, that weren't more powerful, that didn't have the solution. Nobody has up to this point. How, how can he be positive that this Jesus guy is any different? And Jesus responds to him, if you can, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. If you can, this makes me think of like that annoying friend. And you're like, hey, can you, uh, can you hand me that water? And they're like, I don't know, can I? And you're like, oh, Jesus, give me the water. Like, <laughs> obviously you're capable. I was being polite. But he's pointing out that this father is questioning his capabilities. And he says something uh, really amazing. Everything is possible for one who believes. He's saying the problem is not my ability. The problem isn't me. But the problem is your faith. It's your trust. It's what you believe about me or don't believe about me. I, I'm capable. I can do anything. And if you really knew who I was, if you really knew what I was capable of, then you would understand that Anything is possible for those who believe. And that doesn't mean that just because you believe Jesus is going to do something, that he's going to do it in your life. It means that you believe that he can do anything in your life. That unlike everybody else and everything else in this world we experience that's not capable in every situation all the time, it means that you do believe that whatever's going on, wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, that Jesus is capable. And that he has the ability to do something. Doesn't mean he will. But he's saying, do you believe that I have the ability? Because if, if is a really big statement. And he's saying, when it comes to faith, you gotta get the if out of there. It's clever, right? I want you to remember this. You gotta get the if out of there. And you take the if out of if you can, and it just becomes, you can. Jesus, you can, so will you please? You can. 
And when you take the if out of there, it changes our perception of who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And so Jesus goes on. If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This is my favorite verse in all of the Bible. The first time I read it, I was like, is that a mistake? What does that mean? It's so unlike anything I've ever read. This father, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. He's acknowledging that he does have this level of faith. He's acknowledging that maybe he believes a little more than he thought. He went out of his way to bring his son to Jesus. He asked the disciples for the help. He's asking Jesus for help. He's heard these stories. Of course he's got a little bit of faith. Of course he's got a little bit of belief. But yet he's overwhelmed and focusing on Jesus' capabilities. And, and in this moment, I believe that what Jesus did was Jesus helped him to have a new perspective, a different perspective, a perspective that says, stop focusing on everything you don't know and take a second to focus on what you do know. And the story goes on. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out and never enter him again. Jesus took this man's broken and weak faith, incomplete faith, belief mixed with unbelief, and he healed his son. And this is fascinating because Jesus could have rebuked him. He could have said, well, look, man, you're close. That's not gonna cut it. Why don't you go away and figure out what's wrong with your faith and then come back with more? Why don't you go convince yourself that, that I can do everything and, and have this perfect faith and then I can work in your life. Then I can give you what you want. Then I can meet you where you're at. But this isn't enough to work with, man. I know you got a little faith, but if you wanna do this thing with me, I need more faith. And that wasn't it at all. Jesus did what he asked him to do in the midst of his doubts. And so the whole point of this, and what I want you guys to understand is that Jesus can do big things with our small faith. Jesus can. We put our faith in so many other places, so many other people, so many other things. The church is not gonna save you. This church did not save you and will not save you. Maybe Jesus used it, but if you put your faith in the church to change your life, we're gonna disappoint you. The same way that that dad was disappointed by the disciples. I mean, come on, how many people have been burned by the church or burned by somebody who says that they love and trust God and represent God? There's so many people in our world that have had horrible experiences with Christians and because of that, they see God as this guy that they don't wanna know. He's saying, I'm different. I'm the only thing that's different. There's nothing else that you can put your faith in that can do, that can do anything at any time in any situation. There's nobody as capable as me. There's nobody else that deserves more faith and trust and confidence than I do. And this father, this father, in this incredibly humble and honest moment, decided to change his perspective on faith. 
And he took Jesus, what little faith he had, and acknowledged his incompleteness, acknowledged how needy he was, acknowledged that he had no other hope to put anywhere else, and asked him to help. And Jesus met him in that. It's so easy to think in church that it's about the quantity of your faith, that it's about how much faith do you have in Jesus. And the story is saying it's not about the quantity of your faith, it's about who you choose to put your faith in. And when you choose to put it in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, that's when really amazing things can happen, because he can. This is my wife and her cousin Chris, and my wife is an amazing woman, um, hence why I married her, and uh, I love her very much, and Chris passed away about a year and a half ago from a heroin overdose. And this was, this was uh, almost two years into our marriage, and I, I'd never experienced something like this. It was, it, it was the hardest thing I'd ever experienced, and to be a part of her family and to go through that. And Chris, Chris fought addiction for 10 years, all kinds of addiction. I believe addiction is a disease. And, and, and for 10 years, his family struggled. And he stole from them, and he lied to them, and he went to prison, and he went to rehab, and over and over again, he kept messing up. And after 10 years, they were hopeless. They were hopeless. And Jess had this moment, kind of this epiphany. And she wrote this letter to her family, and she was like, look, you guys, we've trusted everything else. We've put our faith in everything else. We've put our faith in the system, we, we tell ourselves that if we were just better family members, he would be better. That if he, if he had better friends and just surrounded himself with better people, then he would be better. Maybe he needs to be arrested again and that would help. And maybe he needs to go to prison or maybe he needs to go to rehab. She says, we've got to in this moment decide to stop putting our faith in all these things and put our faith in God. And she told him we should have done this in the beginning. And she was embarrassed that it had taken them that long, that it had taken her that long to trust God in this situation. And so her family started praying, God, do something. We believe you can. And they had nowhere else to go. They had no one, no one else to turn to. Everything else had let them down, and they started praying for him. And true story, a couple days later, he calls his mom, and he says, I'm ready to come home and I'm ready to go to rehab, unsolicited. And so they go and they pick him up. And now they need $30,000 to send him to rehab. Nobody has $30,000 sitting around. As if, as if the biggest, you know, that first hurdle of just getting him on board wasn't big enough. Now they need $30,000. They just kept trusting God and they kept praying and they kept, they, they made phone calls and, and, and they started working together and by the end of the night, they had $30,000 and Chris was on a plane to rehab. And Chris would spend the next three and a half years of his life sober. And for the first time in 10 years, his parents had their son back. His siblings had their brother back and Jess had her cousin back. And God gave them this gift of a new relationship with their family member. And Chris would go on to lose that battle with addiction. And it was hard and it hurt. But we can look back now and thank God for that gift that he gave us, that he gave that family. 
And in a moment of humility and weakness and not having anywhere else to put their hope, they decided to trust Jesus. And so they took what little faith they had and they put it in God. And he did something that was a miracle. So my question for us, my question for you is what do you need to take to Jesus? That father in the story in Mark took his son to Jesus in the midst of his uncertain faith, in the midst of his doubts. He went out of his way to seek after him, to stand in front of him and to ask him for help. And he said, here's what I got, God. I know it's not much. Do something, please, and fill in the gaps. I wish I had more faith. I wish I I could believe more. But will you do something still? Because I know you're capable. And we need to have this conversation with God. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. And I know, like you guys are here because you're looking for something. Like you guys came to church for a reason. I believe that we all have a level of faith in who God is. And if you're a Christian, I know what that level of faith is. It's that he died for you, that he loves you, that he cared about you. And we understand that in one moment, in another moment we don't. And we have to continually go back and remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And have the honest conversation with him and not be afraid to say that Jesus, I know my, my faith is broken. I know it's incomplete, but I need you. My biggest fear for today is not that you guys would like this message. I want you to because I'm a people person and like I want everybody to like me. So like, you know, there's a little bit. But honestly, my biggest fear is that you guys are gonna come here and then you're gonna hear this message and you'll be like, oh, that was good. That's cool. And then you're gonna go home and your faith is gonna be exactly the same and you're not gonna do anything different. Like I'm afraid of that. And so I wanna challenge you guys. Everybody in this room, I wanna challenge you. And this is gonna be weird. Some of you have never done this and some of you are gonna understand what I'm saying. Today, tomorrow, sometime this week, some of you like perked up like, ooh, I love homework, this is good. Tell me what to do. Sometime this week, I want you to go into your bedroom and lock the door. I want you to go into your bathroom and lock the door. Go downstairs, go somewhere you're totally alone where nobody's gonna walk in on you, where you have complete privacy and I want you to get on your knees. And look, there's nothing spiritual about getting on your knees. But sometimes when we change our, our, our physical posture and position, it can help us change our hearts. And it changes the posture of our mind and our heart. And here's the thing about getting on your knees. It's humiliating. It's, it's embarrassing. Because it's, 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 a, it's a sign of weakness. It's vulnerability. When you bow down to somebody, it's like saying, I'm weak. You're bigger than I am. You're better than I am. You're stronger than I am. I'm needy. I submit to you. I'm looking to you. I'm humble. And it's a powerful thing when you get on your knees. And I want you to get on your knees and I want you to focus on what you do know. Focus on the faith that you do have and tell it to God. Have the conversation with them. God, I believe you're good. I believe you died for me. 
Whatever it is, I believe you did that thing in my family's life. I believe you did that thing in my life. I believe you provide for me. And then be honest about what you don't believe. And if you don't believe anything, then be honest about it. And be totally vulnerable about where you're at in your faith with God. This is about us engaging in a conversation and a relationship with the only one who can. And the whole point of that is that father went to Jesus and engaged in a conversation. And when we go and we engage in a conversation with Jesus and we take him our faith, what little of it we have, and we say, here it is, God, do something amazing. You will see God do things that you never could have expected. And it won't happen every time, but that doesn't mean he's not capable. And he's capable all the time. And we just got to go to him. You guys got to go to him. So this week, get on your knees and here, look, I don't want to hear anybody come up to me after the service and say, Ryan, you did such a good job. The biggest compliment you can give me is say, Ryan, I'm going I'm to get on my knees this week. That's what I want you to tell me. I don't care if I did a good job. I care if you go and you bow down before the creator of the world because that's what changes our lives is when we're humble and honest and broken in front of a God who loves us and cares about us and wants to give us good things. And we don't have to be ashamed about our lack of faith. You don't have to be ashamed, but take it to God and ask him to meet you in that. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you are always chasing after us, that you always love us, that you always, you're always pursuing us, God, and we're sorry that we don't believe the way we wish we could. We're sorry that we don't have the faith that we wish we did, and we thank you for accepting us all the same, for embracing us and loving us all the same, God. And I pray that you would make us humble and that we would understand how much we need you and how much you wanna be a part of our lives and that we would take you what we have and know that you are capable, that you are able to do anything. God, thank you. We love you. Amen.